I would imagine that nearly everyone can quote a verse on judging. And if I were a betting man, I'd bet it's judge not that ye be not judged. You know, even if you've never actually quoted that to anyone, chances are pretty good that someone has quoted it to you. Matthew 7.1 is without a doubt the most popular verse on judging. Most who quote it, however, miss the point Jesus was making because they don't know the entire passage. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5 reads, Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you read the entire passage, it becomes obvious that this is not a prohibition against judging, but a warning about the way we judge. Jesus is telling us not to judge hypocritically or condescendingly as if we were perfect, as if our brother was the only one in need of judgment. He's telling us to get the log out of our own eye before we try to get the speck out of our brother's eye. And if you can't tell, Jesus is using humor here, painting a humorous picture to get his point across. He's not telling us to ignore the speck in our brother's eye, to overlook sin that is obvious in his life. He's simply saying that we must make certain we are dealing with the sin in our own life before we point out the sin in someone else's. He's also saying we must be careful how we judge our brother. We must make certain that we are using the standard of judgment that has been given to us not a standard that has been fabricated by our opinions and prejudices. That understanding is affirmed by another important statement from Jesus on judging, one that I would highly recommend you do commit to memory. It's found in John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. That verse is part of our text for today, a text that gives us examples of judging, both good and bad, and an admonition about the way we are to judge. We have a lot of misunderstanding to clear up about judging, so let's get into the text. Let's judge the judgments that are made in it. And let's learn how to make righteous judgments. We begin with the judgment that Jesus made. We're in John chapter 7. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. 
why do you seek to kill me? Now, we need to pick up the context here. Jesus is in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. As far as we know, he hadn't been there for a year and a half. The last time he was there during a Passover celebration, he got into a confrontation with the Jewish authorities, and they vowed to destroy him. He's therefore been avoiding Jerusalem, ministering in the northern province of Galilee, teaching, healing, and preparing the disciples for what was ahead. Contrary to his brother's advice, he arrived in town unannounced halfway through the feast. And that gave him the opportunity to teach in the temple courtyard unopposed for a time. When the leaders discovered he was there, however, they challenged his right to teach. He hadn't been to the rabbinic schools. Who did he think he was teaching in the temple? They were the ones who knew the law and were qualified to teach it, not him. Well, Jesus defended his right to teach and then took the offensive. He said, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The Jewish leaders claimed allegiance to Moses and to the law that was given through him. They studied it faithfully and taught it religiously. Yet Jesus said none of them carried out the law. Now that was a very bold statement to make. It was very judgmental. It was, in fact, a harsh judgment against them. And like the rich young ruler, I'm sure many of them would have objected and said, all these things I have kept from my youth. But, but had they kept the law? No. No. And even if they had been able to keep the letter of the law, they had not kept the spirit of the law. They may not have murdered, at least not yet, but they certainly hated someone. And Jesus had made it clear that to hate was the same as to murder. Because if you hate, you are murdering in your heart. You, know, you don't have to act out your sin to be guilty of committing it in your heart. And committing it in your heart alienates you from God just as much as acting it out does. So yes, they had violated the law. None of them had carried it out. In fact, it's impossible for anyone to carry out the law. Now, contrary to popular misunderstanding, the law was not given to make us good. It was given to show us how bad we are. The law was given to show us that on our own, we could never lead a perfectly holy and righteous life. We could never, on the basis of the law, become good enough to enter into a relationship with a holy and righteous God. The only way for us to be acceptable to God is through grace and forgiveness. And the law was given to teach us how desperately we need forgiveness and a Savior. That was the primary intent of the law. But the Jewish leaders had missed the point. 
on a comparative scale, they figured they had it made. They were better than most, so surely they were good enough for God. But they weren't. And Jesus knew it. He knew their actions. He knew their hearts. He knew their intentions. He knew they were, in fact, seeking to kill him in direct violation of the Sixth Commandment. So how would we judge the judgment of Jesus? Accurate, of course. But next we see the judgment of the crowd. The multitude answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Now, Jesus was addressing the Jewish leaders, those John simply calls the Jews. But the multitude, the crowd, heard the exchange, and they jumped in when Jesus asked the Jews why they were seeking to kill him. And they judged Jesus to be crazy for thinking the Jews were about to kill him. They said, you have a demon. Obviously, they were judging without the facts. They didn't know the intention of the Jews. They didn't know that before the feast would be over, the Jews would actually send officers to seize Jesus. They didn't know that in six months, Jesus would be condemned to death by the Jews. They didn't know what was going on, but were quick to make a judgment. And to them, it seemed that Jesus was crazy. You know, all too often, the crowd, the multitude, society in general really doesn't know what's going on. And they pass judgment without the facts. That's why truth can never be determined by a popular vote. That's why polls are useless in making wise decisions. That's why the voice of the people can be wrong. So we better be careful in assuming something to be true just because it's a commonly held belief. The crowd can be wrong. We better judge the judgment of the crowd on the basis of what we know to be true and not be swayed by what they think to be true. We therefore judge the crowd to be wrong. So what about the judgment of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. Now, as we read on, it becomes obvious Jesus isn't answering the multitude here. He's answering the unspoken thoughts of the Jewish leaders. He basically ignores the interjection of the crowd and addressing the Jews says, I did one deed, and you all marvel. Now, what's he talking about here? You know, he had done many deeds, performed lots of miracles. But the deed that stirred up the Jews was a deed done a year and a half earlier on his last visit to Jerusalem when he healed the lame man at Bethesda. You may recall that the man had been sick for 38 years and was lying by the pool that was thought to have miraculous healing powers. He was hoping that someone would help him be the first to get into the water after an angel stirred it. But when Jesus saw him, he healed him on the spot and told him to take up his bedroll and walk. 
the man did so, only to be condemned by the Jews for carrying his bedroll on the Sabbath. And Jesus came under attack for having told him to do so and for having healed on the Sabbath. It was then that the Jews had committed themselves to doing away with Jesus, to killing him. They judged him to be worthy of death because of the actions and works they deemed blasphemous. They marveled at his audacity to violate the Sabbath as they had marveled at his audacity to teach without a degree. And their marveling was not admiration. It was shock. Shock at behavior they judged to be wrong. But we judge their judgment to be wrong. Let's read on. The judgment of the rabbis. On this account, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. Now, the lack of punctuation in the original makes it possible for on this account to go with the previous verse. I did one deed, and you all marvel on this account. But even if it does belong here, though grammatically awkward, the point is clear. The Jews condemned Jesus for working on the Sabbath. But they, like preachers today, also worked on the Sabbath. The law, actually a command that preceded the law of Moses, said that a baby boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. Now, some boys were obviously born on Friday, and that created a problem. The eighth day would be a Sabbath. But the law said no work could be done on the Sabbath, and the rabbis had defined work in detail. They had, in fact, defined medical care as work and had declared that no medical care could be given on the Sabbath unless it was absolutely necessary to save a life. That led to a serious problem because circumcision was a surgical procedure. And they had defined similar elective surgical procedures as unlawful on the Sabbath. The rabbis, therefore, had to make a judgment between two apparently conflicting laws. They solved the problem by simply writing an exception to the law. And in the Mishnah, they wrote, everything necessary for circumcision may be done on the Sabbath day. Now, how that came to that conclusion, we can only surmise. Perhaps they reasoned that the law was very specific when it said, and on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And they recognized it was only their definition of work that would rule out circumcisions on the Sabbath. Now, if that's the case, the rabbis judged well by putting the clearly expressed will of God above legislated opinions concerning the will of God. And we would therefore judge their judgment correct. It's too bad, however, that the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day didn't find in their decision a principle 
that would also enable them to practice the judgment of compassion. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? They had resolved an apparent conflict correctly by deciding to circumcise on the Sabbath, but had not done so well when it came to deciding whether or not to help someone on the Sabbath. You know, they would later agree with Jesus' answer to the lawyer's question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus made it clear that the entire law could be fulfilled by loving God and our neighbor. And the Jewish leaders agreed. But when Jesus showed love to a man in obvious need, they were incensed because he broke their interpretation of the Sabbath law. They refused to acknowledge the priority of love over legislation. Now, there is a danger here. We cannot ignore the law under the guise of loving. In the 60s, the numerality came into vogue with situational ethics, claiming nothing was absolutely wrong, that if love demanded it, any law could be broken. The problem with that is that we have no way of knowing if our action will prove to be loving in the long run. Sometimes what appears to be loving at the moment results in much harm down the road. Or it proves not to be loving to all parties involved. And that's why God has defined love with some absolutes. It's never loving to murder someone or to commit adultery or to bear false witness. It might seem so at the moment, or it might seem justified because the action protects someone we love, but it cannot be done. There are some absolutes that must never be violated, even in the name of love. But when no absolutes are given, compassion can help us discern that which is best. It can enable us to decide between conflicting opinions about a given situation. The Jews, however, refused to let compassion moderate their views, and we therefore judge their judgment to be wrong. So how do we avoid their error and make right judgments? We do so by seeking the judgment that is righteous. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Judgment cannot be avoided. We are called upon to make judgments 
every day. But Jesus told us to only make judgments that are righteous. Judgments that are correct. That are in keeping with God's will. How do we do that? We do so, first, by avoiding snap judgments. By taking time to look at all the facts at our disposal. We do so by carefully examining the situation in light of God's revealed will. We do so by seeking to judge with compassion and not with a vindictive spirit. We do so by trying to discern the motive that led to a particular action. In short, we do so by not judging according to appearances. We seek to get into the situation far enough to really understand it, to see it from all sides, and we view it through the lens of God's word. If we do that, our judgments will be righteous judgments. And if we do that, We'll have no need to fear being judged ourselves because the way we judge, we will be judged. In fact, if we're in Christ, we have no need to fear judgment at all. We know that because the righteous judge has already declared us free from sin. And he can do that. Because he paid the penalty for our sin himself on Calvary. We must also remember, however, that he also paid the penalty for those we judge. We may have to judge someone's immediate action as being outside the will of God. But thanks be to God. We can also hold out to them the promise of forgiveness for their sins if they will but join us at the cross of Christ. That takes the sting out of judgment. And it enables us to not only become righteous judges, but judges who bring good news the gospel. So let's not be afraid to judge when it's needed. Let's not ignore sin and let sinners go to the grave unforgiven. Let's judge with righteous judgment. And let's share with those we judge how they can be forgiven for the sin we've observed in their life. How they, like us, can be made whiter than snow.